You know, the dirtier that something is, the more effort it takes to, to clean it up. I don't know how many of you are good or bad cooks out there. I don't know if you've ever seen a pan that looks uh, a little like this. I mean, if you end up with a pan like that, it's, it takes a little effort to get something like that clean. So that takes some effort, but then you have situations where it takes like a radical amount of effort. So when we bought our house, uh, we've been in our house now for about two and a half years, and when we were looking through our house and having inspections done, we discovered that uh, in our attic, they, they had actually vented our dryer out into the attic. Instead of venting the dryer outside, they had vented the attic in, or vented the dryer into the attic, which resulted in all this humid air, you know, going out in the attic, and it, it, there's all this mold all over this whole section of our attic. And so uh, they were going to replace the roof anyway, and as part of the negotiation for the house, we said, we, we really need you to do some serious work on this section here that is covered with mold. And so they actually ripped all of the plywood off of that section of the roof and replaced it with new plywood, put on a new roof, vented the dryer outside now, so, so that's all good. But if, if you had walked into our house when that demolition was going on, you would have seen them ripping the roof off, and you, if you didn't have any context for that, you might have said, you're, you're ruining the house. I mean, you, you can't have a house without a roof. You can't go through the winter. You can't have rain. You can't have no roof on the house. Why are you ripping this apart? And if you said that to me, I would say, it's okay. What we're doing is necessary because we need to get rid of a health hazard here, and something better is coming. So we're, we're in a study in the book of Revelation, and, and we have entered into a long section. It's actually the longest section of the book that talks about judgment, God's judgment. And there's this intensifying chaos that is going to happen, and a lot of natural disasters happening. And it looks a lot like a demolition. And someone with no context looking at the, the earth being shaken apart might say, God, you're ruining your planet. I mean, you're ruining this. God, I know we have some problems, but don't you think you're, you're overreacting a little bit? I mean, because we're going to see massive upheaval happening on, on the planet as we continue through the book of Revelation. We might say, God, you're, you're overreacting a little bit. Don't you, don't you think you should calm it down a little bit? And those questions, the fact that we would ask those questions and think that maybe God's going a little overboard reveal a lack of understanding on our part of the contamination that sin causes in our world. And the extent, the, the radical extent that God has to go to to purify and cleanse his creation so that he can make it ready to be new Again, we're going to get a little more of a sense of that this morning as we continue in Revelation. If you would take a Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one on a seat close to you. It's on page 1133, or you can turn in, uh, if you've got a device with you, you can turn to Revelation uh, chapter 8. If you are new to Grace Point this morning, you should know that our stage does not always look like this. Okay, and, and I know some, I've heard some people asking questions and stuff. What is all of this stuff? You know, what, what's all this junk 
that you've got on, on the stage. And he, so I want to clear that up for you this morning. If you have not put together why we put the stage together this way, the stage is supposed to look like a bunker, okay? So we, we said, as we talk about preparing for the end of the world, this is the way some people approach preparation for the end of the world is they literally create a bunker somewhere on their property and they are stashing things away, uh, generators and food and supplies and water and that sort of thing. They're stashing that stuff away thinking, you know, if, if the bottom drops out and things are going really bad, then at least I have a place to go where I, I can survive for, for a time. Um, I, this was kind of funny. Someone from a distance thought that these cans were cherries um, and they said, this is like the worst bunker ever. I mean, who puts cherries? I guess they don't like cherries. Who puts cherries in their bunker? This is, it's actually kidney beans. Okay, so beans, it's a good thing. Protein, you know, helps you. Anyway, so that's, that's the idea here. And some people do physical preparation. What, what we're really talking about in this series, we're not so concerned about physical preparation. If you want to do that, that's fine. We're talking about spiritual preparation for what is to come. And God's given us a glimpse into to the future. So my, my prayer has been and continues to be with this series that God would use this time to prepare us spiritually for what he has uh, yet to come. So um, we're going to look this morning at four chapters that are a little bit disjointed. I'm, I'm someone who's always trying to look for how things flow together and fit together, and I, I honestly had a hard time figuring out how these four chapters fit together here this morning. So I want to give you a little map of where we are in the book of Revelation and where we're going specifically today. There are three cycles of judgment in the book of Revelation that all consist of seven, seven specific judgments. So last week we looked at seven seals of judgment. Today we're going to look at seven trumpets. Next, uh, actually in a couple of weeks, we will look at seven bowls. And then there's actually more judgment after that. There's judgment of Babylon after that. And then there's the final judgment. So see what I mean? I mean, there's a long stretch of judgment in, in this book. So we're in the middle section of these, se these cycles of seven judgments today. And let me just uh, give you an outline of the four chapters that we're going to look at here this morning. Chapters 8 and 9 are the first six trumpets. And then there's a pause on that. So similar to last week, we looked at the first six seals, and then there was a pause, and then we got to the seventh seal at the end. And then chapter 10 is a sidebar that talks to us a little bit about prophecy and the nature of prophecy and God speaking to us. And then chapter 11 is another sidebar that talks about these two witnesses. There's kind of this unique scene with two witnesses, and then we get to the seventh trumpet at the end of chapter 11. So, um, as we work through this, um, the, the purpose in God's judgments, I hope, will become a little bit more clear. clear. We, we are focused, again, just to give you a, a big picture here, we're focused in this study on Revelation, not so much on the what that's happening. Sometimes people focus a lot on that and try to decipher every little thing that's going on. We're not so much focused on the what as we are on the why. Why is God doing what he's doing and what is our response to be in light of that? So, we ended last week with the seventh seal. So let's reread that at the beginning of Revelation chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, and by the way, isn't that an amazing song that we sang? I just, I love that so much. Isn't, 
He is worthy to open the seals. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So the seventh seal, the opening of that seventh seal, the content of that is actually the next cycle of judgment, which is the seven trumpets. And so that's what we move into now, and I want to skip down to verse 6. And we're just going to read straight through these first four. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. So this may have been some kind of a meteor, an asteroid, something like that. Verse 9, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So, so see, again, what I mean about this demolition <laughs> that's happening. I mean, there's massive, massive global destruction happening here. Verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters, which means bitter, became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So the second trumpet has to do with the salt water, the sea and the salt water. The third trumpet has to do with fresh water so that it becomes uh, poisonous to drink. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Verse 13, then I looked and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. All right, so let's pause there for a second. It's increasingly evident that these judgments are from God. If you were here last week, um, the first four seal judgments have a lot to do with, with man. I mean, they could have just been man-generated. There was famine. There was war. I mean, these are not things that are unusual to, to us. But now these start getting really intense and massive. And so it's, it's increasingly evident that God is behind these things. These are not just natural disasters. They're actually supernatural disasters because of, of their scale. And they're, they're going to get worse as this angel cries out, this woe, woe, woe. Anytime you see something three times, you know that it's, it's serious. You need to pay attention to it. And he says, woe is coming, like, whoa, I mean, it's going to be bad, so chapter 9, starting in verse 1, the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, apparently the star is like a fallen demon, is, is a fallen angel, a demon, because it's a he who's given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Verse 2, he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, 
and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then the smoke... Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We saw that last week, if you were here, the 144,000 that God put a seal on their foreheads. And so now we see that those are exempt from the the stinging, the torment of these locusts. Verse 5, they were allowed to torment them, everybody who didn't have that seal, for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Sounds absolutely awful. Verse 7, In appearance, these locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. All right, so a couple of observations. This is, you know, when we start getting into some of these chapters, we start reading some of these descriptions. This is like, wow, what is going on here? So a couple of observations that, that I want to make here. Some, some have looked at this passage and the, the sixth trumpet that we're about to read and, and try to think maybe John is looking into the future and he's describing weapons of war uh, that he had no idea how to describe. And so he's doing his best to describe them. And, and maybe this is actually some kind of, these are mechanical things or tanks or something like that, helicopters. Um, and so some have tried to find that kind of a correlation uh, to, to what we would see today. I think um, I, one thing that we know for sure here is that these locusts are not normal locusts, right? Because locusts typically harm plants and animals, and they're actually told specifically not to harm the plants and animals, but to harm people. And they have these stings, which locusts typically don't have. And they have a leader, they have as king over them, verse 11, this angel of the bottomless pit. And normally locusts don't have a leader. We, we find that in the book of, of Proverbs. So whatever these things are, it's, this is not normal. It's, it's probably supernatural and probably, honestly, demonic. Because they're coming from this bottomless pit, they have been released from the bottomless pit. And, verse 11, they have as king over them the angel of this bottomless pit, a fallen angel whose name is Abaddon, which means destroyer. Um, And so, probably these are demonic. Um, The other thing that we know, which which is hopeful, is that they are subject to God's authority. Because... They are told who they can harm and who they can't harm, and they are allowed to torment them for five months. Five months, incidentally, is the life cycle of a locust, and so that's kind of where that five-month idea may come from. So, that is trumpet five. 
trumpet six, verse 13. This is equally kind of strange. Then the, the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. To the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Quick math, what's that number? 200 million, thank you. I, I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses in my vision. And now we spend more time talking about the horses than we do the mounted troops, whoever they are. We talk more about the horses. This is how I saw the horses in my vision and who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. So it's not even saying that they were killed by the mounted troops, by the people. They're killed by what's coming out of the mouths of these horses. Verse 18, uh, we read that. Verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Okay, so again, we, we read this and we're like, what, what is happening here? What's, what's going on? Who are these, uh, these horses? What about this army of 200 million? So many have made the observation over recent years that they look at China and say China is a country of a one and a half billion people. So if anybody could field a, a, an army of 200 million people, maybe it's China. And that, that may be the case. But think about what, would, what it would take to support an army of 200 million. Think of how much food, um, how, how much it would cost to weaponize them. Okay, So it, it may be a human army, but again, it may be demonic. And again, the, the focus is more on these, these horses than it is on the people who are riding them. So... Again, I, I come to these kind of passages and I leave them saying, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. I know it's really bad. And here's, here's what's clear. So again, let's come back to what's clear. What's clear is how people respond to these first six trumpets. And that's as we read on in verse 20, we see a very clear response. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So two times in those two verses, we find out that people did not repent. Verse 20, they, they did not repent. Verse 21, nor did they repent of their murders. This is, this is what's clear. See, God is bringing these judgments with an eye towards changing people's hearts. I mean, what he wants is for people's hearts to change. He wants to shake people out of their stubbornness. This, a lot of these, we, we could take time to look at these 
different judgments and compare them to, if you're familiar with, the plagues in Egypt, the ten plagues. There's a lot of similarities there. And the plagues in Egypt were brought to show Pharaoh, I am powerful and you should bow to me. And Pharaoh hardened his heart and resisted God just as people will do in in the future. See, God wants to change our hearts. And what I want us to take away overall here uh, today is that God's judgment is for the purification of his creation. God is not bringing a demolition to just destroy everything and ruin everything. He's bringing a demolition to remove the old so that he can make way for the new. And he does that. He wants to do that. He wants to cleanse us individually as well as a global purification. He wants us to to cleanse us individually, which we see here in in these two verses, 20 and 21. He says, they they did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons and idols. So he wants to cleanse us of idolatry. He wants to cleanse us of worshiping as God that which is not God. And so there are people throughout history, and there are many people in our world today, and there are undoubtedly people in this room who are worshiping as God that which is not God. And when God shakes our world, he's trying to shake us up and say, I need you to recognize I am the one true God, and I need you to worship me alone. Note really carefully here when it talks about um, idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Those idols are not necessarily things that have been shaped into little statues. There are a lot of people in our world, in our community, maybe in this room, who worship idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood in the houses that we live in, the cars that we drive, the jewelry we wear, the stuff, the things that we have. And God is a jealous God and will not share his throne with anyone else. He is the only one who is worthy to be worshipped. And so he wants to shake us from our idolatry. And not only our idolatry, but then in verse 21, the, the acts and the acts of sin that result from our idolatry. Now, they, they didn't repent either of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. N.T. Wright makes this amazing observation that when we worship as God something that is less than God then we as humans become less than human. Meaning that we were intended to bear the image of God. We are image bearers. That is is an amazing calling, an amazing position that God has put us in. But if we worship as God something that is less than God, then we cannot bear the image of the one true God and we become less than God and we do this kind of stuff. Murders, sorceries, sexual immorality, thefts. And he calls us, God is calling us to cleanse ourselves of those things. Cleanse ourselves first of who who do we worship? And then how do we act in light of who we worship? And so when we're, we're talking about the world being rocked on a global scale, when your personal world is rocked, It is a good opportunity to sit back and say, God, are you rocking my world because you're trying to get my attention? Because maybe I need to repent. 
of, of an idolatry? Have I given my attention and affection, my best attention and affection, am I giving it to someone other than you? Then I, I need to get on my knees and repent of them and say, God, have mercy on my soul. And then may the conduct of my life reflect the God that I, I worship. Cleanse me of all this other junk in my life that does not honor you. See, the demolition is part of the purification. And that's true of us as individuals. It's true of us on a global scale. So the the global demolition that's going on is part of his purification because there's a new earth coming and he has to get rid of the old before the new comes. I want to go, I want to show you Matthew 24, Jesus' words again. He says, nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, question. What comes after birth pains? Answer. New life comes after birth pains. This is a picture of of Harrison Hansman, who was born Three days ago, on, on Thursday, they're part of our small group. It's been so much fun for us as a group to walk with them from the, the time when they found out they were expecting and walk through the whole process, and then Harrison arrived. So Thursday was a really long day for Amanda because it started, they went in first thing in the morning, and then things started, and then he was born at like 8 at night. So it was a long day for her. And I was talking to Jason last night, and I was saying, how did everything go? And and Jason, Jason, husband, obviously, and he's like, he's like, well, it was. He said it was good. It, it went pretty well. And and she's like sitting in the seat next to him, and she's like, "What are you talking about? You know, you were just watching." And so th- he said that last hour. I mean, there, there's a lot of pain involved in that. But the, what happens at the end of that pain is a new life, and now they get to celebrate and watch him grow. And I would dare say, if we could get inside of Harrison's little mind, that he would think, you know, my world was just demolished. (laughs) My world, my safe, little, comfortable, warm world where I had everything that I needed all the time. I didn't have to ask for it. I didn't have to cry. I didn't have to do anything. It was all being delivered to me. It's all, it was all, it's all gone. And I won't go through the graphic, you know, mess of like how that got demolished, okay? But it got demolished, and now he's brought into a new world, and sometimes when the demolition is happening, we're like, what is going on here? But it's because it's making way for the new. We're going to see the new when we get to Revelation 21 and 22. You can read ahead if you want and see the new that is coming, but God has to do a demolition work before it comes. His judgment is for the purification of his creation. So now there's a pause before the seventh trumpet, as there was again last week, and there's, a, there's an aside here on prophecy, and I'm going to deal with this really fast because I want to I get to one other major thing. Um, in chapter 10, he says, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his foot on the sea And his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So John hears the thunders say something. And dutifully, because he's recording all of these these visions, he goes to write it down. 
and the voice says, no, you, you're not to write this part down. See, it is God's privilege to conceal from us what he does not want us to know. It's his privilege to reveal what he wants us to know and to conceal what he doesn't, isn't ready for us to know. So Deuteronomy 29, 29, I love this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. So God says, the, the voice says, seal up what the thunder said, but that scroll, that little scroll that was in the angel's hand, you're, you're going to get to experience that, John. So let's go down to verse 8. The voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, said, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So there are some things that God chooses to conceal. There are other things that he chooses to reveal. And John takes in, he's taking in this prophecy. Actually, he's internalizing it. I mean, he's getting it as internalized as you can get to eat it. So that's a, a picture of the work of prophets. To some extent, the work of teachers, those who are not just passing along information, but God calls us to internalize those things to become part of us and then make it known to others. All right, now we get to chapter 11. So if Revelation is probably for many people the most confusing book in the Bible, chapter 11 is probably the most confusing chapter in, in the book, perhaps. And so what I want to do is I mostly want to just read this to you because I honestly don't know what's going on here. But I do want to make uh, two major observations, really important things. So I'm going to read just, we're just going to read a little bit out of this chapter and I'll leave much of it to you. Starting in verse 1. Then I, John, was given a measuring rod like a staff and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. All right, I want to pause here and, and uh, talk a little bit about what this temple is and what these two witnesses are. There are many who, who look at this about the temple and say this is talking about a literal temple in Jerusalem, apparently, because it's talking about the holy city in verse 2. So maybe it's a literal temple that gets rebuilt. There's another, there's at least one more interpretation. There's probably a lot of other interpretations, but another major interpretation I want to talk about. I'm going to sit down for this because uh, you're sitting down and this may be a little challenging for, for some of us. So, but I want to say this really gently. So another possible interpretation of this is that the temple is talking about the church, which would be consistent. So, he, so maybe God, maybe this voice is, is saying, uh, go and measure the the church, the people who belong to God, 
And where that comes from is the idea that most of the time when the temple is mentioned in the New Testament, it's not talking anymore about a building. It's talking about the people of God. So one example, one of many examples from Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And those yous there are plural. So do you not know that y'all, if we were down south, are God's temple? You, the church, you, God's people, are the temple now. And so one of the reasons why people struggle with that interpretation of this chapter is that we say, well, the church shouldn't be here by this point in the tribulation. Isn't the, hasn't the church already been raptured? And then we come to that question of, of the rapture. So the, the book of Revelation really doesn't deal with the rapture. The, the passages that we look at that talk about rapture come from 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Thessalonians. Those are the major passages that, that we look at. Really, Revelation doesn't deal with it. So I wouldn't need to really deal with it here, but I feel like it's really important for me to say a couple of words about it. I think it is possible, and I'm not even going to tell you what I think and where I come down on this because it doesn't matter. But for, for those of you who, who do come down, I know there's many who come down and say there is a rapture. Jesus is coming back before any of this demolition starts. And so we don't have to worry about it. It's okay to know about it. Maybe we can tell somebody else about it, but we're not going to be here for it. It is possible that this is talking about the church. And I say this also because if you look at verse 4, it says, when it talks about these witnesses. There are others who believe that those witnesses, again, is talking about the church. Why are there two? No idea. But, but because verse 4 says these are the two, these witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Where have we seen lampstands before? In the book of Revelation. Okay, chapter 1, 2, 3. And what did the lampstands represent? The church. So here's, here's my point. There are people who really respect the authority of the Bible, believe that it's true, interpret it with, with reverence, who believe that the church is not going to be raptured at the beginning. And maybe in the middle, some people believe in the middle, maybe at the end. Here's my point as your pastor, and here's where I want to just talk to you just from my heart. I would rather have you be prepared to go through the tribulation, the demolition, and keep your faith than to think that Jesus should be coming at the beginning and beam us out of here and spare us from all of this terrible stuff that is being foretold here. And then we get into the middle of it and we're saying, God, where are you? And my faith now is failing because my faith was in an event and not in the Redeemer, it was in the rapture, not in the Redeemer who is able to carry me through that event. My faith, and I will just tell you, my faith is in Christ. Like, I look at this awful demolition, and I think about the idea of persecution and even martyrdom. And I, I shudder myself because I think, I don't, what would I do? What would I do if I was, my head was on the chopping block? And I, I come back to saying, God, you've gotten me this far in my life. So you're going to take me through whatever lies ahead. And my trust and my faith is in you. So 
Believe what you will. I encourage you to believe what you will on the timeline and hold it with an open hand, not to be dogmatic about it, and to trust, to trust in Christ and not in any particular event. Here's what I know about uh, chapter 11 here. Here's what's clear, is that in the darkest time, God continues to provide witness for the truth. So whether that's the church, whether that's these two special prophets that he, he provides, um, God is providing this witness. All right, really quick now. Um, the, the seventh trumpet, and then we, we get some, some hope here in verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the climax of the Hallelujah Chorus, if you're, if you're familiar with that. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, another song saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So there it is again, the purification that's happening. The purification of it. He's destroying the destroyers. He's just destroying those who have sinned and have engaged in in acts that are destroying his creation, and he's getting ready to restore it. And then verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. The ark of the covenant was seen in the temple. Jews for, for centuries have speculated what happened to the ark of the covenant that was part of the tabernacle and then the temple. If you've seen Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, you know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. It's in a giant box somewhere in a warehouse, you know, being studied by top men, right? That's, that's where, no, that's not, where it is. we don't know where it is. And it doesn't matter because humans may destroy the physical Ark of the Covenant, but the Ark of God's Covenant, all of the, the temple and the tabernacle that we saw on earth was just a reflection of what is in heaven. And the Ark of the Covenant uh, is un, unbroken. Uh, man can destroy the physical Ark, but no one can destroy God's covenant, his promises to us. Even in the midst of all this demolition, God's promises still stand firm. Dan is going to come, and uh, we're going to sing maybe one verse or so of the song uh, that, that we're going to go out with this morning. But what we need to know is the, the world is not getting better on its own, um, contrary to some voices that say it's not getting better on its own. And, and honestly, neither are, do our human hearts get better on their own. God has to do a demolition process to make way for his, his purification. And one day he's going to do that on a global scale, but you and I have the opportunity today to repent and to cooperate with what God's wanting to do in our hearts, to repent, first of all, of idolatry, any, any God, anything that we give 
greater attention and affection to in our lives than the one true God. God wants to shake that out of our lives. And then he wants to shake out of our lives the the actions, the behaviors that reflect less than a holy view of God. And so we have opportunity to reflect on that. We're going to sing probably the first verse or so of this song. Make it a prayer this morning. Make it your, your heart's cry to God to cleanse me, to change me, to purify me.